So hi, I'm Terry Cargis. I'm the executive director at the Peterson Automotive Museum. And our guest uh, uh, on this uh, this podcast here is Bill Warner, that one of the the impresarios of the of the uh, automotive collector world, and uh, and a, a man that I admire to, uh, so greatly. I I, I think that uh, you have one of the premier shows in the world, Bill. It, it's a, a, a everyone loves to go to Amelia Island. Uh, our hat is off to you, and and again, I know you've got a a big show coming this year. So yeah. we're excited to hear about that as well. But thank well, you thank for joining very, us. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's been a good ride. Um, who would have known 26 years ago where we were going with this? We were just trying to raise a little money for a, a community hospice at the time. And, uh, you know, for years, I, although a lot of people knew me as a photographer for road and track, I really, uh, I, I sold filtration equipment. That's how I made my living. It supported my car habit. Well, where did the idea come from to, to start your own show? Uh, it, I got a call from a lady named Patty Hendricks, who was at, uh, she was a PR lady at uh, the Ritz Carlton. And uh, really at that time, no one knew where Amelia Island was. And uh, they were trying to do something. They wanted to do a car show that would be comparable to what you have on the West Coast with Pebble Beach. And uh, they'd call a gentleman here in town who was into cars. He said, you really should call Warner because he, he's, uh, he's the car guy. And when they called, I'd run the filter business about 35 years and I was kind of getting bored. And uh, I said, well, I had confidence that we could pull that off. And I later, I jokingly say that confidence is a feeling you have when you don't truly understand the situation. <laughs> So first year was kind of a practice run. Uh, Mercedes-Benz had their regional headquarters here in Jacksonville. So we went to Mercedes and Bill Usry, who was at Mercedes at the time, said, what do you need to get the show going? I said, we really need a good draw. So could you get me Sterling Moss? And he said, well, he said, I'll be back in five minutes. And he got on the phone, called, he said, yeah, we got Sterling. Now where do we go? And that's, oh that's kind of how it started. Wow. <laughs> so you know, the, I, I, the next I, year... I thought that not only should we have a uh, a famous driver, but we should assemble the cars of their career, and that's where that started. Started okay. with Phil Hill. Yeah, a couple good uh, guys to have uh, first and second year. Yeah, not bad. Along the line, we've had uh, just all the stars you can think of. The one guy I haven't had yet, I really, 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 really want to get is uh, uh, Mario Andretti. Really? Yeah. Uh, he just, in recent years, we've talked a lot. We've had dinner over it. It's just, it, it just didn't fit. But maybe uh, now, as we both age out, we it'll happen. I don't know. One of, the, one of the great storytellers of all time. I mean, he is amazing. We had the honor to, to pay tribute to uh, Mario a couple of years ago. And I, I had, I made sure that when he was flying in, I was going to be the only one to go pick him up in the car because I figured that would be the only time I had him alone. And I had a, a question that I wanted to ask him that I'd been dying to ask him. I was sitting in turn one at Indy for the uh, Danny Sullivan spin and win. and I was up in the grandstands <laughs> <laughs> right in and front of me. What what I loved uh, was, was uh, Danny told the truth. He said, no, the car came around for me and it just it was there. But I kept thinking that that whole time, 
that you're going what 220 miles an hour through through turn one. Yeah. And and to me, the thing that made that whole thing work was that it was Mario was right behind him, and was able to at that speed correct the car, move the car around the spinning car, and drive on without incident. And how many people can do that? How many? Who could have done that? I thought, it, but for Mario, that could have been turned out a lot differently. Uh, yes. Uh, I'd only been to Indy twice. I went in 73, which was the worst year possibly to go. <laughs> and uh, uh, there, you know, there were, there were, that's when Swede Savage was killed and then the mechanic right. was run over by the ambulance and it poured rain. It was, it was the worst race I ever attended. And then I went back the year that Danny Sullivan went on one on the spin and win. Well, I was working for road and track magazine in 73, but in 75, I just went back with some friends who just kind of flew up for the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were sitting there right where he did that. And I asked him later, I said, what happened? And I guess when he crossed the paint line, it just, it kind of upset the car a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, those guys are going at such speed that even something as, as, as minuscule as, as a, the difference in in surface of, of a painted line in the asphalt can can set them going. I I loved that he told the truth about hey I, you know it just happened because I, I, I was thinking when it happened how what was he going to say during the interview because I remember when Kevin Cogan uh, lost it at the start yeah. and took out Mario and AJ and said no it was Penske's equipment was <laughs> I, I think that was his last interview too. Uh, last ride, no one, no one else is going to hire anybody on that. I remember that one as that car came bouncing down the pit road. I think the only thing attaching the engine to the car was a couple of air equipped lines. Yeah. Oh God. Bill, how did you get started? What was your first impression of, of cars and, and what sparked your interest? Well, you know, I don't remember Terry. Uh, I was always into cars. E- even when I was a kid, my, my mother said my first word was Chevrolet, and I had a tricycle that I, I, I referred to as a Buick. And uh, we we lived about uh, not far, maybe a half a mile or a mile from Automobile Row here in Jacksonville. So while kids were sticking ball games, and and, and I was never big enough or fast enough or talented enough to, to play football or baseball. So I'd pedal my bike to the dealerships and try to sneak pictures of the new cars before they came out and just generally bother them. And uh, uh, when I was 14, I went to work bagging groceries. And then when I turned 16, I got a job at the local Volkswagen dealer uh, driving the customer's vehicle in the parts truck. And uh, Mr. Al Sager, or Sonny Sager, uh, who owned Al Sager Volkswagen, had a race team. And he had two cars, one called a Mickey Mouse Special and one called a Mighty Mouse Special. And uh, the Mickey Mouse was a VW chassis with a Devon body and a pushrod 16 Super Porsche engine. And the Mighty Mouse was a mid-engine. They made up the chassis with a cobbled up uh, Devon body with a four cam uh, motor in it. So uh, I, I guess the first race I went to was Dunelland about 1959. And I got in, intoxicated by the smell of castor bean oil and the noise. I what year was that? Do you recall? 1959. Yeah, I I had that experience at the Torrey Pines race in 55. The first, my first road race and the smell of Castrol R. Yes. It, it, talk about intoxicating. You know, I haven't smelled that recently, that aroma. Uh, usually if a guy's got a four cam Porsche, he'll have some cast, castor bean oil in it. And yeah. uh, 
it, it, I remember going to Sebring, I think it was 59, it may have been 60. I, I skipped out of high school and a buddy of mine and I went down to Sebring, uh, got there in the middle of the night, had never been to the place. It was 60, I think it was. And uh, I had an air mattress. We had a 55 Chevy, didn't know where we were, just camped out on the front straight. First thing I did is blow up the mattress, lay down on it, rolled over once and heard something puncture the mattress. And the next day, I figured out the most valuable commodity at Sebring was a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> if you had that, it was good. But the other thing I remember was the Rodriguez brothers. One was a year, I think a year older than me, and one was a year younger than me. I'm not sure. I think so. You know, uh, uh, Pedro was older than me, and Ricardo may have been my age or a little younger. And here they were, like 14 and 16 years old, driving a Dino. And oh, they, God. You could smell the castor bean oil and the orange blossoms. And at night, things seemed to get magnified. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. The noise, the aroma, everything. It, it, it is, I said it before, it's very intoxicating. And uh, that I just fell in love with racing. You know, in terms of the racing, then, if it, as, as an attendee, you were going that, but you started, uh, you had become an avid, uh, photographer was that was that yeah that was uh, out of the box I got out of college uh, I went to the Citadel in Charleston South Carolina and got a degree in electrical engineering which I hated I never practiced it uh, I got an engineering degree because my dad wanted me to be an engineer and when I got to the Citadel there was two choices civil engineering and electrical the civil were out on the parade ground and it was 95 degrees and they were sweating with their transits and the double E's were up in an electric in the air-conditioned lab. So <laughs> I became an electrical engineer. But I took up photography at the Citadel because if you were on the photo staff, you didn't have to march in the parades, the military parades. Good so I, I'd go out on the field with my camera. I didn't necessarily have film in it. I'd shoot a few uh, <laughs> uh, imaginary shots and disappear in the barracks where I'd sack out, you know, and they eventually caught up with me. But when I got out, I wanted to go racing, couldn't afford it. So I, I had taken up photography at the at the encouragement of my late sister. And uh, uh, one of the first races I went to, I guess, was, whew, well, the first race I shot some pictures of that'll be in the book was 1959. But the first race I shot for any magazine was for Sports Car Graphic. And that was, I think, 67. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, Sports Car Graphic kept me dull. They closed the doors on the magazine in 71. Huh. And then Road and Track was looking for somebody down here. Alice Bixler had been shooting down here. She was out of Miami and she moved to Canada. So they were looking for someone. You know, magazines are historically cheap. They were looking for someone around the corner who was going to go to the race. So Jacksonville being close to Daytona, it worked out. Did, did uh, you work closely with John Lamb and Phil? I did. John and I were really, really close friends. Uh, in fact, we joke about it in my book. I talk about John and when we put on a baseball cap and glasses, our, our noses were about the same size. We we, we looked the same <laughs> to the point that uh, Jay Human would call me John and him Bill. But uh, uh, no, John was John was terrific. We, uh, we, we both shared the same interests and uh, in cars and photography, but we also loved old time radio. And huh. we used to love, we used to love Bob and Ray. Do you remember Bob and oh, Ray? Oh, sure, of course. Yeah. And they'd always close their radio show with, right if you get work, and, and the other one would say, hang by your thumbs. <laughs> so every every time John and I would have a telephone conversation, whoever was hanging up said, well, right if you get work, the other would say, yeah, well, hang by your thumbs. So 
um, I, I talked to him a number of times just before he died. It, it was, uh, he, he was a fighter. He, he was a, a, a fabulous photographer and a wonderful person. You know, he, he, uh, it, it's funny. I know because I'd, I'd, I'd had become, um, acquainted with, I can't say I was a friend of Phil Hills, but my wife, Annie and Alma are very close. And so we had a chance to spend some time with them and with Phil and, um, Phil always spoke very highly of you and the show and, you know, he had, and John had done a number of, uh, Ferraris and the, a lot of that testing and they'd traveled together, but he was a, a big fan of both of you guys. That so was, uh, it was always nice to hear. It was very complimentary. Well, I'm very, very happy to hear that. I, I didn't know that, but I will tell you a funny story on Phil. He was our honoree the second time and we had the American Mercedes brought over, which was made by, uh, the piano company if you remember that, uh -huh. uh, on Long Island. And there's a big touring car, which Phil had restored. So we went into the ballroom at the Ritz-Carlton because we were putting the car up to the stage for the dinner that night. And this guy's struggling with it and he can't steer it and everything else. And Phil looked at it and says, no wonder he can't steer it. He says the, the spring shackles are upside down that had <laughs> joggled in the truck and, and the shackles had flipped over. So there's oh my God. the world championship champion on the floor of the... Uh, Ritz Carlton with a jack correcting the the, the, the leaf spring hangers. <laughs> he, oh, he, he, he was a real car guy. You know, you know Bob Mosier. I uh, do. Bob has shared a couple of stories with, with, on, on Phil that, that in the in a in a driving a locomobile in the canyons here uh, one day when it was misting and the and the road was pretty wet, but some guy was dogging him behind him. And, and it pissed him off. He had a fairly short fuse. So he decided, I'm going to lose this guy. <laughs> so With a locomobile? Yeah. He's, well, he had torque. He, he, he had an 8,000-pound car, and Bob says, he's drifting the car. And then it turns, he said, I, I could practice that my whole life and never get that done. On wooden wheels, too. Yeah, yeah. Amazing <laughs> stuff. Well, when you when you got into racing, how did you get started racing? You were, I mean, you've had a good career in, in as a driver. Um, well, I wasn't a, a stellar driver. I had fun. Um, it, that was another funny thing. You know, um, the Lord leads you on strange paths. You, you, there are things you want to do, and they don't necessarily happen when you wanted to do it. You know, it, it just kind of evolves. So I had a friend of mine in the insurance business, and he was uh, the underwriter for a uh, an insurance company up in uh, New Jersey. And the guy had bought a Bob Sharp Dotson uh, B210. Uh, it was a car driven by Terry McKenna, who I think was a drummer for Grand Funk Railroad or something like that. I'm not a rock guy, so I, yeah, I don't know. Well, he bought the car for five grand. And his wife told him, you get in that car and our, our marriage is over, you know? So uh, he offered it to me and I didn't have five grand. I said, I'll give you $2,500 right now. And then $2,500 in 90 days. And, and so I ended up buying a Bob Sharp Dotson. Wow. And I had a guy who worked for me. I, actually, I had pulled a Brabham BT-8 out of a South Carolina junkyard. It was a, a tourist trophy winning car that belonged to Denny Holm. And it was Sid Taylor Racing, ran Riverside, ran uh, Laguna Seca, wow. ran Silverstone, Goodwood, Olton Park, uh, Northern Ooh. Africa. I bought the wow. car for 2,900 bucks. Oh so I needed to get someone to restore it. And it turned out that one of uh, John Wire's mechanics was living in Jacksonville and was out of work. 
he had, had uh, diabetes and couldn't travel, so I hired him. Uh, hitting, uh, I guess the statutes of limitations are past us now because this was 40 years ago. Uh, I hit him in, in, the, in the company. He would do filter shipments during the, the day, and then when things were slow, he'd go back and work on the cars. So I had the Brabham BT-8, and it was a nice car, but uh, I wanted to go club racing. So I had this Datsun, and uh, my goal was to get to the runoffs, which I, I did my rookie year. Uh, car was a great car. It was built by Bob Cuneo, who mm. now makes uh, bobsleds, uh, Olympic bobsleds. But he did all of Bob Sharp's cars. I'll be darned. So uh, I made it to the runoffs, and uh, I bought an engine from Don Preston, who was really the guru on Datsun engines. And uh, after two days of practice, we put the Don Preston engine in and I wound the car a thousand RPMs less and went six seconds lap faster. So oh my God. It, it proves that, you know, real engine builders know how to build engines. And uh, long story, but I, I uh, you know, when you're a race driver, you don't, you don't get in at the five minute notice. You gotta be Mr. Cool, you know? <laughs> So we're at the top of the hill at Road Atlanta, and they said, you want to start the car up and run it down to the grid? I said, no, nah, just give me a push. I'll just coast down to the grid. So I coast down and put the car in place, and I get out and looking like Mr. Cool. And they come in at five-minute notice. Well, Mr. Cool doesn't get in at five minutes. Mr. Cool gets in at two minutes because he's cool. So I get two-minute warning. So I get in the car, and I strap in. I pull him down. One minute, you hold your hand out, you know, I'm ready to go. And I push the button, nothing happened. <laughs> Starter motor had gone south. Oh, my God. And <laughs> this is the runoffs? Yeah, the runoffs. I'd run 11 nationals to get there. And oh now I'm not going to make the show. So everybody pulls out around me, and I'm sitting there trying, what am I going to do next? Now, Max Jones from Los Angeles. And sure, his know Maxwell. Yeah. You know Maxwell. Well, he was... Uh, he was running showroom stock in a Datsun that year. And I had met him through Joe Roos at Road and Track. And oh, he ran over and says, what's wrong? I said, the starter motor's gone. So they pushed me up and down the grid twice. I mean, downhill, then back uphill, then oh. downhill. It was, it was a crank-fired car, so it wasn't easy to push start. Last time, they closed the gate going out of the track, and um, it just fires. So I had to go back to the tower and down the pit road, and I go out to the end, and I'm I'm wired, man. I am ready to go. And the flagman comes over really cool. He says, I know you spent all your getting here, but he says, uh, uh, just cool it. He says, you're going to have to start last. He says, if they come down the hill to get the green, I shake my head yes, and you can go out after all the cars go by. If they don't get the gray, green, I'll shake my head no. You can go out, but you can't improve your position. you got to start 20 seconds. I said, ah, anything. Just get me out of the track. You know? So it was one of those days I could do nothing wrong. I could be on the wrong side of a turn and it would hit some dirt and line the car up. I mean, I, I could go over a burn and it would just, I could not make a mistake. And I, the first lap I'm blowing by these guys. I said, yeah, I wonder if they got the green light, green flag. I mean, these, this is too easy. So I went from 22nd and at the end of 18 laps, I was fifth closing on fourth. I, I, I really had a wonderful day. Oh boy. And, uh, so the, the first race the next year, I went to Sebring. It was January. And there was a guy who will be nameless who was running a two-liter motor when he should have been running a 1600. And I blew him away at Atlanta. And all of a sudden, he's back with a two-liter motor. 
be a long, make a very long story short, he kept trying to block me and I finally got by him and decided I was going to put more distance between me and him than he'd ever seen. And I learned an expensive lesson. And that lesson is you never drive out of emotion. You uh-huh. drive out of brains. And I ended up uh, eight days of intensive care and three months at home. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh my so, God. That, that was a lesson. I had broken my sternum and bruised my heart and totaled a car when some guy spun in front of me and came back across the track. Where was the crash at, at the track? Turn one Sebring. Uh, it was a short course. You go down the front straight and instead of turning left and going out on the road portion, you'd turn right and loop back around the pits. So it was really fast. It was very wide. It was a, it was a runway. Yeah. And I was flat out in third gear and I was running off of... Uh, adrenaline when I should have been running off of brains. You know, Wayne Rainey claims that that's what happened to him when, when he crashed, was that he, he, he wasn't racing to win. He wasn't racing to go fast. He wasn't trying to get the fast left. He was just trying to beat Kevin Schwantz. <laughs> the whole focus was to beat Kevin, you know? Well, that's, that's when the snake bites you. Yeah. Uh, I was, I'd gone into second place. And we get, I remember the last thing I remembered was uh, uh, I was closing on this Mazda RX-7, and I said to myself, okay, first overall, first in class. And the next thing I knew, the rear wheel and axle pulled out of the RX-7, and I violated, there's that rule, I I know you've heard it, go where you first see him, because he's not going to be there when you get there. Yeah. And I violated that. I had so much runway space, I just, I said, I'll just go wide and keep my foot planted. Boy, he came back across the track perpendicularly. Oh, God. And uh, it went from First overall, first in class, and then everything goes into slow motion, you know? And in my yeah. brain, it said, this <laughs> is really gonna hurt. <laughs> and it, it, it did. Oh, and my God. You next were in thing I know, I'm... How long? What's that? You Eight were... days in intensive care. Oh, and my three, God. three months at home. Um, oh, my God. It's uh, it, You know, your brain works funny. The, the cars just did pieces. The roofs buckle, the doors done the motors shoved over to the side and i'm trying to shift into reverse to get back to the pits to see if they'll fix it (laughs) push me push me yeah Yeah, push me out everything's going to be all right little mcguire's and this thing will be ready to go (laughs) you know have you been in touch at all with max jones max went on to become he was a driver of course west coast and in imsa then he he went to to roush for jack and was driving trans am then took over the truck program then moved down to North Carolina for Jack and was running a, a huge race operation down there. And yeah, I then he went to Ganassi. He went over he to went Ganassi, Ganassi race. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he and I were both at, and we tried to catch up with each other at the Motorsports Hall of Fame in Detroit about six years ago, five years ago. Yeah. And w- because of the crowd and, and the thing was going on and on and on and on, I, I didn't get with him. I talked with him. I really should call him up because he saved the day for me, he and his brother. Oh man, what a nice guy! What a what a nice guy! Is he still working? I I don't know. I he was he'd been trying to retire for years, and and Chip kept saying, "Okay, one more year, one more year," and yeah. um and he kept saying, "Yeah," and I guess he got a place in Arizona, but uh, I now I haven't talked to him, so I'm I'm, I'm guessing he might have uh, retired. But then we didn't see anybody last year because of course nothing o- over here. Yeah. Well, they have the uh, they had the Datsun store there, if I remember correctly. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-uh. Yeah, he and his brother were doing 
they were running Datsun 240Zs or 280Zs in showroom stock back. This was 1983. Yeah, 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 yeah. Too much. What when you started your show, Bill? What? How did it evolve to 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 what it is? I mean, it it's one of the most eclectic, and I think that that's what makes it so magical. Is that you have such a mix of of cars, and then certainly you've got the the stars of 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 the racing world that have been there. I mean, yeah. what a tribute. Um, who, excuse me a second, who, uh, tell me I have to call him back, thanks, um, you know, electronics, um, when, when we started it, because of my racing background, I really like racing cars, and we couldn't, we, uh, the mayor had called me one time to lay out a racetrack for a, a race in downtown Jacksonville, which I did, and, um, then nothing ever happened to it. So when we did the Concours, I said, you know, why don't we do something to celebrate the racing heritage and honor the people we know, like Dan Gurney and, and Sterling Moss and and uh, Brian Redman, David Hobbs and Richard Petty and Bobby Allison and Bobby Unser and Allen, the whole group of them. Every year we, we build it around a particular personality, Roger Penske, and we bring in the cars of their career and celebrate that with a, a big dinner on Sunday night to uh, review their career and then we we do seminars and the reason why we do that you can read all about racing all you want but you're reading someone's opinion or their interpretation but if you have the actual people there telling you what yeah. happened that's yeah. that's what counts uh, i know one of the funny stories was uh with uh, uh peter greg uh his car what's that peter perfect yeah peter perfect yeah he had a, the, the, the red and blue stripes on the car, which were very famous. And a lot of people yeah. took credit for that. Well, Jack Atkinson straightened that out on a panel one time. He said, no, Dave Kent in Los Angeles designed the Brumos uh, sweeps. And he designed no, it. Yes. Peter Gregg called uh, uh, Pete Brock. says, I really like the, the, uh, uh, the livery. Uh, on your cars, who did it? And he says, well, why don't you call Dave Kent down in LA? He he could do it. So they had flown the 917 in to go to Laguna Seca. It was all in white. They took the car down to Dave Kent. He did, the, the first car was the 917 Spider. Had the, the Brumos uh, uh, slashes on sl uh, on the side. And But everybody took credit for it. But it was Dave Kent in LA that really did it. You know, I, I did the... Uh... I helped Dan uh, put that Toyota program together that, and that Dave had it the first year in the mm -hmm. GTUs and, and uh, uh, Dan took it over then. And um, it, I think the first race was, uh, was Daytona and, and Dan, <laughs> typical Dan rents Willow Springs and goes out for a, the first official real, a real 24 hour test. You're going to go run the cars for 24 hours and do whatever it takes to keep them running. It was it was amazing. That it was yeah. a, quite an experience. But he um, Dave had done a good job. Dave was a it was a tough racer. Well, he he's the one responsible, and and that's what's important about our, our our seminars. You hear from those people what really went on in those days. It's all right to read the books, but hear it from the folks now. Uh, Dan, it's kind of funny. I was talking to Dan Gurney one time about the finish at Daytona. You remember that in the Lotus 19, the RCRO push, pushing the 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 continent was a continental, right? Daytona Continental. That's right. 
And uh, the story was he went over on the starter motor. Yeah. And he said, no, I never did that. I just coasted up there. And when the flag came out, I turned the wheel and coasted down. <laughs> and I said, okay. But you, if you look at the film, the car goes straight before it gets over the line and turns yeah. down. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes even the guys who were involved with it and part of the story don't remember what happened. Yeah, that was, uh, Dan was one of my heroes. I watched him at Riverside in the sports cars and then in the Wood Brothers cars uh, up on turn six. He, he, his line through turn six at Riverside never varied. He was about an inch from the wall on the outside wall every time through. He was magic. It did. I, he was. He was. One time he was late. The cars were already in the pace lap. Dan arrives at the track. He had been. He and the crew were on their way out to the to the track, but they were speeding and got thrown in jail. Unless huh. <laughs> Richter had to call the sheriff and say, "Hey, no, 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 no. You got to let him out. You've got to get him here." <laughs> oh, I am. Uh... Uh, he was a a wonderful driver and a, a terrific person. Uh, he was he and he really promoted the best of America. You know, oh boy, yeah, the eagle and and uh, uh, he was just brilliant uh, and a, and, a, and a good friend. He and Evie. Um, it he's I miss him. Every day. It's also one of the, the great love stories, those two. Every, yes. every said when, when Dan walked into the Porsche uh, uh, PR department one, one day, the first day he walked in, the bombs went off. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was working for Hushke von Heinstein. Yep, at, at Porsche PR. But what, at, traveling with Dan, um, he would reach in at pants pockets or a shirt pocket or a coat jacket pocket and and there'd be a, a, a love note from Evie in, in uh, all the different pockets. It was one of those great, uh, they had one of those great uh, relationships, a love affair. I talk with Evie from time to time and I know she's so proud of the boys and what they've done with all American racers and and uh, not, very little, if anything, to do with racing, but they're yeah. doing a lot with drones and, and SpaceX, a huge supplier. They, yeah. they build the legs for the for the rockets, um, the carbon fiber. It's a massive operation down there. They they built a big solar plane. Did you ever see that for no, I haven't. telecommunications? Uh, they bought a building uh, just around the corner from AAR in, in Santa Ana, and they uh, they built this this carbon fiber lightweight solar powered plane that will hover somewhere around ninety thousand feet, and it's got telecommunications module in it. Oh my God. And I said, why would you do that? He says, this this is, you know, one-tenth the cost of loss, launching a satellite. and It'll stay up there above the weather for, you know, six months. Oh, my God. Bill, is there is there a favorite story that, that comes out of the shows? Is there a, a favorite character that or the most unusual character from any of the shows that, that you recall? Oh, just, yeah, how much time you got? <laughs> uh, one of the funny ones was uh, with Richard Petty. Anywhere you went, there were people that stopped. And, and he was so nice. He'd always sign anything everybody wanted. So when we'd take him around the hotel, we'd go down in the basement, which is like a, a labyrinth, like Disney. You know, everything was going around in the basement. And then he'd pop up. So the morning of the show, we always have our honorees drive a car onto the field that they're, they're famous for. So we had uh, uh, his, his 
uh, Dodge and uh, set up to go in. So I met him up on the top deck of the hotel where no one was. And I get up there and I'm going to take him out in a golf cart. And uh, there was this metallic red golf cart with alloy wheels up there. And I had my cart and and the, and the head of the golf club came and said, hey, would you take Richard down in this red cart? The guy's a big golfer. He's a big club member. He just wants to say that Richard Petty rode in his cart. And if he'd sign it, I think, look, I'm in a hurry. I, whatever. Let's, let's get in and go. So we get in and I tromp on this thing and I run right into the wall <laughs> with, with Richard Petty. <laughs> he, he jumps out and he says, this is going to be a hell of a situation if I die in a golf cart. So that was one. And then uh, with Dan, when when uh, we did the celebration at the end, we had the Moet and Chandon and he shook up the bottle and he's spraying around and all of a sudden he looked at me and he stared and that big <laughs> smile came on and he soaked me from top to bottom. It was champagne. Oh, he, uh, that, that was a fun one. And uh, John Surtees, uh, uh, he, we had the motorcycle, one of the motorcycles in MV Augusta, he, he ran on the tourist trophy and he won the tourist trophy, but I believe. And uh, it came up for an award. I said, where's John? He was supposed to give the award. He was here a minute ago. Well, where'd he go? I, said, I don't know. He's not here. And I look up and here comes John Surtees down the fairway on the MV Augusta at about 10,000 RPM. <laughs> and he ran right up the stand, stopped. He sat back and put his arms back and just smile like that. And David E. Davis was sitting behind me and he put his hand on my shoulder. He says, doesn't get much better than that, does it? I said, no, it really doesn't. Oh, no, man. Oh, man. But uh, there, there's been so many moments that, you know, we just lost Bobby Unser. Yeah, and yeah. Bobby wasn't necessarily politically correct. <laughs> so, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. So we're at the Mercedes dinner, right? Sponsored by Mercedes Benz. And Bobby gets up there and he uh, says, hey, it's nice to be here in Amelia Island. You know, I used to race for the Germans. I used to race for Audi. And the Mercedes people are looking down the table at me and I'm kind of smiling. Yeah. And he says, I learned one thing when I raced for Audi. They're still staring at me, and he says, "You know what that is? I learned Germans hate Americans." I'm like, oh god! <laughs> <laughs> and he hears this rumble go up. He says, "No, no, it's true. The Germans hate Americans." Then <laughs> <laughs> he went on. He says, "You know, I live in Albuquerque. I used to race at Ascot, and I'd drive through all those Indian reservations to get to Ascot." He says, "So I bought a plane to fly over those Indians." I go, "Oh god." Yeah. He said, you got the Germans, we got the Indians. And I said, I got 20 minutes to go. How many more people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he was terrific. He was funny. You know, Bobby, Evie called me. He says, I see you got Bobby. I said, yeah. I says, how are you going to control him? I said, Evie, I used to be the public affairs officer near National Guard, man. We dealt with nuclear weapons. He said, she said, I'm just warning you. Yeah. yeah. Monday, I called <laughs> Evie. I said, Evie. <laughs> she says, I told you. I told you. <laughs> I, I had the, the pleasure of, of being at his table. Um, we're at the Hall of Fame induction. They were in, 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 inducting um, Bob Peterson. And yeah. So we went and, and, and I got seated with Bobby. And he was talking about what Parnelli had done for him, that they had met up at Pikes Peak. And, and Bobby had been going there and, and Parnelli was up there. And um, that... Uh, Parnelli said, you need to come to the in, to Indy. You need to be out there. He said, oh, I, I could never do that. I could never do that. And he said that one day he got a call from Parnelli one year, and he said, I got a car for you. You need to get out there, and you need to just show up, and, it, and it, the rest will work out. But uh, very complimentary. I guess he used to drive over from Albuquerque to, to L.A. 
and and sleep on Parnelli's couch when Parnelli would race yeah. at the Riverside. But some great stories. I mean, oh my God. Bob, Bobby Allison was was one too. I mean, he's had so much tragedy in his life. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, he he got up in front of the audience, and uh, we had about 600, 700 people there. Uh, he he was talking about that he had been on the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. And when he was starting out, of course, he he was born in Miami, and uh, uh, they they'd go to dirt tracks all around and, and if they didn't win they didn't eat they'd sleep in the trucks eat yeah. beans out of cans i mean people forget how in the 50s yeah racing racing when where you made your living yeah yeah that it, it's in in there you're talking about the drivers that uh, built you've known and had some of the world's premier uh drivers some of the, the i mean at hundreds of them over the years yeah. Is there a, a characteristic that you find in 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 all of them that, that that would be consistent with all of them? Um, that's a good question. I, I would say no. They're they're each individual for something. You know, in some cases, you had guys that had to race to make a living, like Allison and Petty. I yeah. mean, it was week to week. It was paying the bills, doing that before the corporations started coming in in the seventies and eighties. Mm -hmm. uh, then you had the guys who were uh, fairly well to do and, and, and race just because they enjoyed racing, but mm -hmm. they became successful at it. You know, people like Brian Redman, the uh, family, he, he used to sell mops. You know, he had a Morris minor traveler Yeah, that he'd go to the races on weekends, take the windshield out and the doors off and race it, you know, and then <laughs> Monday you'd put the doors back on the windshield back in, go sell mops. I, I had a, I'm working on something interesting. I'll tell you two things. I've asked a, a bunch of driver friends, what would you do if you weren't a driver? Huh. And two of the answers are the most interesting. Jackie Eakes told me he wanted to be a gardener or a landscape architect. Huh. And David Hobbs says, I'd want to be a stand up comedian. I said, you already are. <laughs> <laughs> Those are those are two of the answers. So I, I'm I'm going to do a, a story for for Wayne Carini's magazine on on what if you know what what the, what would they have done had they not been a, a successful racing driver? Is uh, there in the uh, in the show history that that you've had there, Bill? That is there something that you would say of, of all of the cars that you had, but it was the most popular, or or that uh, it certainly meant the most to you. That, that's hard to say because we have about between 275 and 315 cars a year. One car that I really, really liked was the Phantom Corsair, mm -hmm. the Rust Hines car mm -hmm. uh, it, from a classic car standpoint. From a sports car standpoint, mm, Peter Sachs's uh, Le Mans winning Ferrari, uh, is it, is it TR250-61. Mm. That, that's pretty nice. Uh, Rob Kaufman's nine seventeen thirty. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so many cars. But I'm I'm drawn to competition cars, but the classic cars, I'd have to say, uh, the Phantom Corsair is right at the top of the list because it was so advanced. I remember seeing it when I was in high school. It was at the Silver Springs Automobile Museum. It was owned by uh, Herb Schreiner at that time. Hmm. Hmm. I'll be darned. Is is the uh, 
you mentioned that your first race was what that you attended was that Sebring? Did you say no? Delaney, uh, um, uh, oh, Florida, on the airport, and yeah. the first race I shot for a magazine was Sebring. No, actually, the first race I shot for a magazine was for Sports Car Graphic. It was the runoffs at Daytona, so that would have been sixty-seven, I think. Yeah, sixty-seven. And how many years have you attended Sebring? I quit. I started racing there in in the, in the late eighties and nineties, and I, I couldn't take the time to both be a driver and a photographer, so I I quit. Then I went back about three years ago. Um, Scott Atherton said, "Why don't you come back?" You know, and We'll give you the press credentials. You can do what you want to do. And I got there and I found out that it had changed too much. It, uh, wow. it used to be, you talked about John Lamb or, or folks like that. I'd have an old Chevy Suburban and we'd pile in it, go from corner to corner and shoot. And yeah. we, we'd, we'd have a little path around the inside that we could go on. And it was easy. And then I got down there about four years ago. And if you didn't have the gray vest with the red piping, you didn't have the hard card, you didn't have a special sticker for this or a special tag for that. And the, uh, I have newt leg of frog kind of thing. I decided I, it had outgrown me. Yeah, in in the in the uh, collector car world, which which you're a, a significant, uh, you play a significant role in, is it an opportunity to showcase and put some ribbons on your car? Where where do you see the collector car world going? What 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 are you thinking? Ooh, you think? well, of. Uh, a collector car is a nostalgic, uh, emotional purchase, I think. Uh, I love cars of the 70s. Mm -hmm. I still have my 71 Porsche 911. I bought new for 7,900 bucks. I still have wow. it. And I love cars of the 50s. I've got a 50, 58 Eldorado Brougham and a, a 57 Barretts. The younger people don't care about those cars. They don't identify with them. There's this curve you, you get into when you're... When you're 20 years old, you the cars are at this value, and you you want one. You get to be 40, you made a little money, you buy it, and then all of a sudden you get to be 70 or 80, and you're saying, hmm, "Time to cash in." And then you're on the downhill side of the curve. Um, there's a younger group coming in, and they're into the more go fast cars. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, this year at Amelia, we're going to do a class of um, supercars from the 90s which would be like an f40 yeah. and, a, and a, we got a mclaren and a and a, a jag xjr 15. you have to play to your audience and sure. now our audience is in their 40s and 50s and we have to think of what they were interested in what was on their wall when they were a kid yeah we we, we actually have a, a supercar exhibit uh, ongoing right now ourselves and that we opened while we were closed but it, we we felt that, and in fact, we opened four different exhibits while we were closed because we felt it was important to keep, you know, keep the dream alive. But it gave us something to do on live, you know, virtual tours. And this this exhibit is one of the best we've ever done. You know? Yeah, I was over when you did the uh, lowriders. Uh -huh. I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. Uh, no, that was know. the bar, the biggest opening uh, and the biggest first month we've ever had for an exhibit. I'm and, not surprised. It was that the irony on that exhibit was that there were only three cars in the in the exhibit, and it was uh, I had argued against with the curatorial team. No, 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 no. You can't do an exhibit with three cars. You've got to have a bunch more cars. We should have ten cars in here. And they, no, no, no. Trust us. So they they got art uh, from lowrider uh, builders on different you know different sub objects and and art 
uh, yeah. wall, wall art, and um, it became a huge success. It, it, in, in fact, we've got 10 uh, James Edfield custom cars in here that were a gift. And I think the thing that sealed the deal with James taking, giving us those cars, his collection, was that the last thing he saw in the museum that day was in the Lowrider exhibit. There was a picture of four guys on a wall, and they were all his tattoo artists. Huh. <laughs> he said, you got my guys in here. <laughs> you know, every year at Amelia, I try to do something goofy. Uh, I, or in, Internally, we call it the goofy class. You know, something off the wall. Because we realize there are people who come to the show who may not be car people, but you got to entertain them. Yep. And uh, one of my favorites was, it took me 10 years to put it together, was the uh, uh, hunting cars. And and I wanted to get the King Ranch Buick, oh, I'll be which darned. was built by General Motors for the King Ranch. I don't know if you remember, it was a Roadmaster four-door convertible, had a bar in the back, had tool sterling silver, had guns and carbines in the fenders. Oh my God. Fabulous. It was a cover car on Popular Mechanics in 1950. So I called the curator of the King Ranch Museum. I said, here's what I want to do. He said, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so Rich Atwell, who lived in Fredericksburg, Texas, says, I know the lieutenant governor. I'll have him call. So the lieutenant governor called and said, you know, why don't you help these guys out at Amelia? And he said, no. So I said, OK, this is about eight years. And I said, I, I still want to do that. I'm going to be persistent. So one day Bobby Green called me, who, uh, who uh, Bobby Smith, excuse me, in Greenville, Texas, who restores Ferraris. And Bobby Smith said, uh, Bill, I need a favor. I said, what is it, Bobby? He said, I need to get a car in the show. I said, man, we're going to print next week. I, I don't It's late minutes. Said, this guy's really important. I said, well, how important is he? He says, he'll, he's one of the owners of the King Ranch. Said, <laughs> 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 we'll take the Ferrari this year, but I want the Buick next year. So that's how that went together. <laughs> Is there is there a car that you have wanted to get that you haven't been able to get for the for the show? Um, I think Pebble Beach did a fabulous job when they did the uh, the Bugatti Royales. That'll never happen again. Yeah. Um, we were trying to get the three Ferrari Specialis, two seventy five Specialis this year. Uh, Les Wexner has one. Uh, Bonnie Hinn has the the Le Mans car, and Rob Walton has one. We've got two of the three. We got Rob Walton's and we got the Preston Hinn car, which is of the three is the most important. That, that I think I finished third at Le Mans. Mm. Um, I think it's more about the theme than it is a particular car. Yeah. We've had some fabulous cars and, and the Peterson Museum has been great with us, particularly when we did uh, uh, we did a special on Dean Jeffries and we did uh, oh. California Lifestyle and then we did Big Daddy Roth. We couldn't have done it without you. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that's, we like to do something that is not necessarily concoursey you know what i mean what's the car i just I, I i remember seeing the 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 promo piece on the on the car that you have coming this year that's um, the maverick the maverick yeah, yeah. Uh, we had one here before fred roth from uh uh a thousand oaks california was the first one to restore a maverick um, wow fiberglass body yeah. you know i i uh I'm not a Ford Maverick, by the way. <laughs> right. I shared with you a, a couple of weeks ago when we first chatted on this that, that, that um, uh, Annie and my wife and I were down there at, uh, at one of the shows and and um, I ended up fortunately going to lunch with her over at the hotel there and uh, ended up having lunch with Sir Sterling. And, and it was one of the one of the funniest 
lunches I've ever had in my life. That that he is one of the funniest men. What a great sense of humor and the oh, yes. Alma cutting up the two of them. You know, it was it was hilarious. I I, I feel sorry for a lot of the young people who haven't had exposure. You know, back then there was this cross pollination. You had Dan Gurney ran world endurance, you know, one Le Mans, one Belgium the next week in Formula One. So yeah. sports cars, Formula One, run one Riverside year after year, either yeah. at a Chevy or a Ford. Uh, Jim Clark ran it, I think Rockingham one time. So you had these guys from Formula One doing NASCAR, doing Indy, Graham Hill, one Indy, you know, you don't have that nowadays. They're all specialists. Yeah. And, and being a specialist, I think sometimes their audience is narrowed down. Don't you? Oh, God, yeah. I, I think, you know, the, the, in fact, the early days of, of, of Riverside, you know, they opened in 57, but we saw, I, I remember Lee Petty racing and, and Richard, the kid, was just coming on. Um, saw the Rodriguez brothers in their in their Porsches there. Um, Fireball Roberts with a cigar, no, no net, no window net, no shoulder harnesses, you know. No. I, I mean, some of the some of the greats, some of the real, I mean, some really phenomenal racing. Saw Parnelli Jones pass um, Fulmer on on uh, turn nine on the high side on the last lap to win the last Trans Am race there. It was, I mean, some of the things that, like you say, that they all did everything. That, uh, you know, they were all driving all of the Mario in a in a in a, in a stock car. Mario won the, the was it uh, Daytona. Yes, they um, Daytona yeah. 500. Right. I mean, those. It, you're right. Where is that anymore? It, does, it doesn't happen. No, uh, I think it's too corporate. Um, I hate to say it, but it, it is. I mean, a driver can't be outspoken. I think the last outspoken driver out there was probably Tony Stewart. He yeah. had a bit of an A.J. Foytism about him. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the film of Parnelli Jones in the, uh, in the Bud Moore Mustang. They call it The Pass. I think it was at Bridgehampton, I'm not sure, where he went around two cars on the outside, ducked in the inside, went on the gravel and passed the third car. I mean, it was just like those three drivers had to be in shock. But Parnelli, uh, he just had such a touch. He could drive the car on the edge, but he never looked like he was working at it. He it, it, At Riverside, the, the straight, on the straight, they, they, the start of the race, the Trans Am race, they came four abreast going into turn nine. Parnelli was on the outside, completely missed the turn, ended up out in the dirt and, <laughs> and, and fought his way back until the last lap when he caught Fulmer and passed him on the high side. But in, in uh, Parnelli, I think, was running Plymouth uh, in the uh, NASCAR race or the stock car race. And, and um, you know, how the, the S's at, the, at Riverside, the original S's, instead of having the gator uh, teeth there, they had tires on the on the outside or inside of the of yeah the, yeah Parnelli Parnelli he got he got a late start came through straight and the tires were going up about fifty feet in the air <laughs> yeah pa pavement didn't seem to make much difference to some of those guys it was uh, I you know there's those are some of those stories where you remember as a as a kid you're you're looking at these guys as heroes and at Riverside. We used to be able to go over. There was a watering hole down by the, the pit area. There was no garages and there not no cover, nothing. And but there was little uh, like a, a a water watering hole. 
and all the drivers would get together after after the races or after practice and sit and talk. And as kids, we'd sit, you know, on the outside of that and listen, you know, Lothar Machenbacher and and uh, and and Clark, I mean, uh, Hill and and uh, Gurney yeah. and uh, Peter Revson and all these guys. You're thinking, wow, this is this is as good as it gets. Yeah, years ago at Sebring, we'd have a press trailer out back. This was 68, 69. Uh, Pete Byro and I would, uh -huh. and we'd get a uh, dig a hole and put a grill down, and we'd we'd cook hamburgers or steaks. And Dick and Tom Smothers would show up, or or yeah. some of the other drivers, and it was just, it was just, uh, it was a camaraderie that you don't see nowadays. I mean, the guys disappear into their motor coaches, or they got a spokesperson for them. Uh, yeah. Someone once asked me, he says. Boy, I used to love to watch uh, read Henry Manning. He was fabulous. We need a Henry Manning today. I said, you couldn't have a Henry Manning today. <laughs> you, you don't have access. I mean, you can't walk up to, to Hamilton and ask him any questions. Yeah. You got to through a spokesman. You got to submit yeah. the questions or whatever. I mean, it's not. Uh, I'm beginning to sound really old, Terry. No, I was going to. I was thinking that, that here we are. These guys talking about the good old days. I, but, I, you know, you say you can't have a Henry Manning. How about when when Bobby Unser and Sam Posey used to share the, the the microphone and on TV? No, Sam, I don't think that's what happened at all. What? Well, I got to tell you a story on that, and it's fresh because I, I called Sam the day that Bobby died, and uh, I said, Sam, did you hear any? No, I, I didn't. I said, Well, you know, you you two were great on the Indy 500 stuff, that repartee that went back and forth. He says, Yeah, yeah. He says, You know, Bobby and I were really close friends. He says, that was all scripted. He says, we got that idea when we did the L&M series and he and Hobbs would be at each other's throats. But yeah, they really yeah. weren't. They yeah. really weren't. They were really close friends. They'd go out to dinner at night. They'd start a rumor in the morning and see what it was like in the evening. <laughs> and the same thing with Bobby Unser and Sam Posey. And Sam, Sam is a wonderful friend. Um, when I'm racing at Lime Rock, I, I stay at their house. And they, they, she, he, and, he and Ellen are just wonderful hosts. We just... You know, I, I've led a really blessed life. Oh, truly, I'd, I'd say. I mean, one of the one you you really are one of the not not just the impresario. You have lived the the life. You've got the show. I mean, what a what a what a tribute uh, to the years and the respect that 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 people have for you, Bill. That's that that show is successful not because you're you're a good organizer, but because people really want to be there with you and and for you. That's very nice of you to say. It's. Uh, it's it's my life. That's all it is. I, you know, at, at age seventy-eight, I'm 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 going to have to scale back. I, I I just don't have the energy to do it anymore, and I I, I see things changing. And and uh, you know, Jane and I have been through a lot of medical challenges in the last few years, mm -hmm. and we have a granddaughter who's spina bifida that needs attention. And boy, um, i it, it's reaching a point that. It's it's time to think about what the last few years are going to be. Yeah, yeah. is it in 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 that direction? It, uh, the show will go on. It looks like the the. I mean, yes, such a great history and and such a momentum on it. I mean, it it really is one. Of, it kicks off the season. It, it is the, the first show of the season, right? I mean, well, that was one of our choices too. Uh, you know, when you when you study things like this, it's more than uh, a Mickey Rooney Mooney movie. You know, let's get Dad's barn and put on a play, and the next scene is Xavier Cugat's orchestra and costumes by Edith Head. You know, it's a 
we had to think about one. We have a lot of people who are up north who live in Florida during the winter and they go home on April 1. So you, you really want to be in March if you can. Yeah. You don't want to be after June 1 because it becomes hurricane season. You know, there's a lot of things that go into when you want to be and you want to be early on. So if you're celebrating a, uh, a, a milestone automotively, you're 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 the first one to do it. So there's, there's a lot of balls in the air when you, when you think about when you're picking a date and what you're doing. I will tell you a, a funny story was uh, uh, I had been talking with Roger Pinsky for years. I, I met him back in 71 when I did a story for Road and Track. And it was always St. Pete Grand Prix was always on the same weekend. So I'd been out at Riverside. I'd been out to uh, Long Beach to meet with him. And uh, in 2019, right after the show, the PGA Golf Tournament, the, the Players Championship, which is one of the top championships yeah, in the world is right here in jacksonville Ponte Vedra, 30 miles away so they put their golf tournament which was in may on our date oh boy. i'm livid i said i gotta read i'm gonna lose volunteers i'm gonna lose audience i'm gonna lose media i gotta go a week early so i called the hotel and i said we, we gotta move the show up a week so, you know, we we bill out three years in advance says uh, Mayo Clinic has it that weekend. I said, oh, mm -hmm. oh well, one of our former board members gave the land to the Mayo Clinic here in Jacksonville, Dan Davis. I said, I won't call him. So I called Dan and said, I, I got to move up a week and Mayo Clinic has the rich. What are we going to do? He says, I never say never. Let me work on this. So four weeks later, he came back and he says, yeah, Mayo's giving you the weekend so you can move up a week. So thank wow. goodness we moved oh, up a week. So we had, and that made it possible for Roger Pinsky to come because we, now we weren't on top of St. Pete, but we were still a week early. And uh, turned out weather was great. Everything was good. Three days afterwards, the world shut down. COVID shut everything yeah, down. Oh, I remember. Shut down the golf tournament. And I said, the, there's a lesson to be learned there. Yeah. The lesson is that God likes car guys better than golfers. <laughs> I, I don't know if we can top that one, but I think that's probably a good place to close. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me, Terry. Uh, our pleasure, our distinct honor and pleasure, uh, Bill. It, it really uh, great admirers, and and um, you know, would we support you and 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 uh, respect everything that you're doing, and 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 greatly appreciate it as as do all the fans. So well, thank uh, thank you, and. Uh, as I say, for those of you who don't know where we are, we're the easternmost extension of the Santa Monica Freeway. <laughs> <laughs> Keep smiling, Bill. Thank you so much. Thank you, Terry. God Take bless care. you.